You're listening to Of Slights and Men, with Benji, who loves the sound of his own voice. A Daily Magician Production Alright, let's talk for a minute about uh, new product junkies and why I think that those type of people are maybe not as big of a problem as a lot of very well-respected magicians make them out to be. Um, And so I'm not going to mention anybody by name, but if you read a lot of magic sites and uh, some certain publications, you will know that there is a certain type of magician, uh, usually professionals, who are very serious about the art. Um, you know, which is fine, that's not a fault in itself. Uh, if it was, then I would be guilty of it too. Um, but the the error comes uh, in this, which is that they, they're constantly railing against people that buy new magic. And it seems to be this kind of shared opinion between some of these professionals that, you know, you should never buy a new magic product. And you should only ever read the Vernon Chronicles for 40 years before you move on to the next next set of books. Um, which obviously is an exaggeration, but I'm, you know, I don't even know how much of a big ex- exaggeration that is. Uh, that is genuinely an attitude I see a lot of them have, and it's this attitude of, you know, if you buy new tricks each month or, or even each week, you know, then you are a you are a sinner, you are a dirty sinner. And the correct way of doing it was buying is buying a very select group of magic books and just reading them for the rest of your life and studying them and performing stuff from them and constantly going back and forth between these things. And so I definitely see where they're coming from with this. And I think I might even agree. I think they might be right, but also very, very wrong at the same time. Um, and I know you're already anticipating, or how am I gonna how am I gonna resolve that statement? Uh, don't worry, we will get into it. Um, and you know, I think that is right in the sense of for magicians that really want to become a true kind of artist and, and get to the top tier of magic in the very top of the game, um, that, if you want to be at that level, well, yeah, I think this advice is good. And there is a point where you should probably not jump from every new release to new release, and you should just study the classics, work on your own performances, your own material, um, and just do that, you know, which is the advice that these guys are given. And so I think it's right if you want to be that kind of a magician um, you know, but generally that's only for the people that want to take it that seriously and they want to progress to the highest level of artistic expression within magic possible. And if that is you, well, it's a very valid approach for that. And it's definitely worked for a lot of them. There are people that have done it that way. But I think the, the, the issue in this argument and the reason I think it's also wrong is that it's not like they tell this to people. You know, the people that give out this advice, they don't tell it to people one-on-one. You know, they don't sit them down and say, Hey, so you want to go to Vegas, you want your own one-man show, you want to be taken seriously, well, here's what you've got to do. You've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to read this, you can't do this. Um, but they don't do that. They, they treat everybody the same. And they treat everybody as if it's a given that everyone wants to become this real expressive artist who spent years working on each move within, within each effect. Um, which, again, if that, that is you, that's fine. That's, that is one group of magicians who are that. Um... But I don't know. It feels like they assume, the people that give this advice assume that everybody is that person. And so in these opinion pieces and writings and in, in these publications and sites and, you know, places, pretty prominent places where there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on them, um, they say this kind of stuff. And so a lot of people will 
see that advice and start to get self-conscious saying, well, I guess I must be screwing up because I just bought like this new thing from, you know, Magic Shop XYZ last week and I was enjoying it, but well, now I guess I've been told better. I, I guess I didn't know at the time, but I should probably stop doing this. I guess I can't have fun. I should go back and start, you know, read this again. Um, which, by the way, is a great book, but that's not really the point. That's not really the point. The point is there is a plenty of people who do magic and buy magic because they want to, and that's what they get out of magic. And they don't have these aspirations of becoming the next, like, um, next big thing, one-man show, Vegas, uh, critically acclaimed artist. They don't really care about that. They just like magic, and they like playing around. They like toys. They like seeing, you know, new and exciting methods and seeing what's going on. And so, for them, it's just a hobby. And what I'm describing, there's a lot of people that magic is just a hobby, and they just like it. Um, sorry, I just nudged the mic. My bad. <laughs> Did you notice I just apologized to the mic? That's very British of me. Um, just a, a gut reflex, I guess, is what you'd call it. Uh, anyway, um, it's a hobby for a lot of people, and you know they have a bit of disposable income each month um, that they just kind of want to have some fun with. And they're not trying to become professionals. They just like magic. And so they, ha they have the money to buy the new stuff. And so for them, what they enjoy the most is buying that new stuff. So to tell these people, no, you know, don't do that. Go back to the basics. Never read these. Never buy this new stuff in again in your entire life. It's like, wow, <laughs> that's, I think that's uh, deeply, deeply wrong. And it's just not the right approach for a lot of people who are into magic just for the fun of discovering new magic. And I know, you can make the argument that a lot of this, uh, you know, so-called new stuff is not really new and it's just rehashed old stuff. That, you know, maybe if they just read the old books in the first place, they might have seen it. That's not what it's about. Um, it's more about the ease. The ease, like the ease of use. Can I say ease? The ease of use and the ease of accessibility. Like when somebody comes along and puts out a new release and it's a download or a gimmick that comes in the post, it's not like they have to make it themselves or they have to dig through the book to find out... Um, all this stuff, like it's not like page 478 footnote B on like this huge manuscript. They don't want, they're paying for the ease of accessibility. And so they're perfectly happy just to pay $10 and get it as an instant download that they can watch within 10 minutes and just have, start having fun with. And, you know, again, I think that's fine. And if that's, you know, who are we to say that they're doing magic the wrong way? Because they're really not. If that's what they enjoy, then that's how they enjoy magic, and that's perfectly valid. And, you know, I'll even admit that's how I enjoyed magic for a very long time. Um, and it was my kind of introduction to it. And I really wouldn't be where I am now um, in terms of my relationship with magic and how I think about magic and the, the ideas that I might have been able to come up with if it weren't for those exciting, shiny toys that got me into it in the first place. Because I can guarantee you that, you know, if... At the time when I was just getting into magic, somebody came along and gave me, you know, four of these huge leather-bound, printed in 1907 books, and put them down in front of me and said, look, study this for the next four years. You would have scared me away, um, I would think. Uh, I'm pretty sure that would have scared me away, and I wouldn't have come back to magic. Um, and I definitely wouldn't have had the approach that I've taken, which I'm grateful for. And so, you know... Um, the, uh, for example, um, when I was a teenager, I guess, early teens, there was a Rubik's Cube effect that came along, um, and I saw 
uh, who was it? I think it was Stephen Brundage performing this kind of Rubik's Cube, incredible Rubik's Cube effect on Penn and Teller. And I'd been in magic for a, a bit, but I was kind of still trying to decide, like, is this really what I want to do? Is it, you know, I was kind of on and off. And um, obviously there were other factors that went, went into it, but this seeing Penn, uh, not Penn and Teller, seeing Stephen Brundage doing this on Penn and Teller, I knew instantly, as soon as I saw it, I was like, you know, I don't, for a minute, let's not think about, oh, what is my relationship toward magic? Do I want to do this as a career? Do I want to carry on what I'm doing? I'm spending a lot of time on it. Is that the right? I didn't think about any of that. I just saw, wow, <laughs> I want that, you know? Um, and I really, really wanted that. And so I got it. I got it, uh, I think it's for my birthday, and I've been using it ever since. Um, and, uh, you know, I bought that. Well, I guess I, I persuaded my parents to buy me that because it had a really great trailer and really exciting music. And it was so flashy and it was, you know, solve with Rubik's Cube in seconds visuals and it really spoke to me. And so I wanted it. And as a result, as a result of getting that, I was like, you know what? I kind of like this magic thing. And because obviously I, I, I'm not saying it was my very first introduction to magic, but it was like one of the most powerful effects that I sort of unlocked up to that point. And the reactions that it was getting me was like, hey, this magic thing is pretty cool. Maybe even cooler than I previously thought. And so it kind of opened my mind and kept me in the game. until then. So that when the next thing came along, which was at the time, it was some kind of version of the stand-up Monty. It was like a gimmick where, you know, you can do this free card Monty thing. So I bought that and then I bought the next thing. And every time it was kind of pulling me deeper and deeper into magic and only after I'd handled all of that stuff and only after I'd bought all of that stuff did I have enough confidence that you know I was here to stay to start going after some of the heavier stuff and, and looking at the the real uh, big boy books <laughs> um, so to speak but if it weren't for those toys those trinkets those uh, and by the way the Steve, Stephen Brundage one is I, I was quite lucky a lot of the stuff I got was actually genuinely good stuff but it's not really about the product it's more about the the way it was communicated and the, the idea that I was just buying new releases because I, I saw them I thought that was like the best thing in the world when they came out because that was how they were presented um, and it was a very positive thing even though a lot of these guys would uh, call that stuff you know garbage magic and it's like you know, commercial money grabbing greedy uh, pollutant pollution and garbage and by the way that's not an exaggeration I'm not even joking there that's how I've heard a lot of them refer to it but if it weren't for that kind of stuff, I think there's a lot of us who wouldn't even be in magic uh, today, you know. Um, and so those those gimmicks and those new releases, they were what made it possible for me to go on and study some of the classics. And so the classics were only made possible because of those shiny releases. And, and so they were kind of like a gateway drug, but, you know, the good kind of ga gateway drug. <laughs> Probably the only kind of good, the only good gateway drug was these gimmicks. And so I'm deeply thankful for those people that put them out. Because if it weren't for them, I wouldn't probably wouldn't be doing this podcast now. Um, and they were the ones who really helped me see how fascinating and visual and mysterious and just all around awesome magic is. And they did that by the way they were marketing these new products in, in the trailers and the, the copy and the videos and the visuals and I realize they're just a trailer's video and visual. That's probably all the same thing, but you know the music, the visuals, the written word, and the, all they're just the hype in general, which a lot of people look down on. A lot of people sneer at, sneer at that, but it was only because of that that 
I sort of opened my eyes to how awesome magic is because I I could see it, you know. I could feel it on a on a level that you don't immediately get when you're reading these classic books. Um, when you're reading the classics, you more have to kind of search for this thing. So it doesn't scream out to you when you when you look at it. Um, and that's not to say it's it doesn't have that stuff. It does, but you just have to look for it and you have to start performing it and go, hey, that's pretty cool actually. But it, it's not immediately as obvious. Whereas what a lot of people do in these so-called garbage new releases, they help package it in a way that instantly communicates and highlights how awesome magic is. And I think there's a lot of merit in that that people just you know, overlook. Um, and obviously not every single release is great. Like I said, I got kind of lucky with the ones I got, but um, again, it's not really about the effect. It's more about the role that I think they take in getting people into magic, which I think is an, is an important one. And so, um, you know, they introduce people to the art and if it weren't for those, they wouldn't probably be, people wouldn't be in a place to start reading the classics that they these people recommend. Um, whereas if they'd recommended it at the start, there's probably a lot of us who wouldn't have been able to stick with it. Whereas because we got these shiny stuff in it, the shiny stuff was made, what made us realize that it's kind of like proof of concept where we go, okay, well that works. It's great. Now I know for a fact that this kind of stuff is good and it does work. Why don't I go and read this stuff? Cause it's almost like, uh, you've stress tested the magic and you've done it out in the real world and you've seen, you've been able to leverage these gimmicks and sort of shiny stuff and you've shown yourself that yes it does work um, and it does work for me and so now I have the confidence to go on and explore other stuff and by the way I know there's plenty of people who got started reading the classics um, and they did manage to stick with it um, I, I was listening to Ben Earl talk about this recently where he talked about um, I think he got like expert card technique from the library and he didn't even know it was a magic book until much later um but, you know, well, my airport just died really loud. Um, and he was just kind of fascinated by the book. And I think Guy Guy Hollingworth is a, another person I've heard talk about this, where, you know, he, I think he read Expert at the Card Table. Um, and he read it as a kind of young, younger, younger guy uh, in school. And he didn't realize that there was kind of magic outside of this. He just thought, well, you know, this is what magic is, and so he just went about learning that uh, without realizing how hard that book is. Um, and they were doing these really crazy moves, and just well, you see how that turned out. You know, Hollingworth is a sensational magician, but I think people like that are probably not the majority of people. And I could be wrong, but I feel like if you give most you know, teenagers a copy of Expert at the Card Table, they're probably not going to turn into Guy Hollingworth. Whereas I think if you give them, you know, a chance to go down, check out some of the magic shops and sites and really understand on a level that speaks to them how cool this stuff is and what magic can do for them in a way that they can make sense of, in turn paves the way for studying some of the deep material later down the line. If that's where they want to go. Um, like I said before, there's plenty of people who all they ever want out of magic is just a fun new toy every now and then they can play with. Which is what a lot of gimmicks are, they're just kind of toys but for adults, um, which is fine. And, and like I said, it serves a huge part of the market. And so, maybe that last bit was a bit of a tangent, but if I just circle back to where I was, 
I think there's nothing wrong with people enjoying magic and enjoying buying new magic because that's what they enjoy, you know? It's kind of like shopping. There's a lot of people who buy new clothes every week and, you know, do you really think they need new clothes every week? They definitely don't. Um, but their hobby is shopping for clothes. I think there's certainly a lot of magicians is that that's the case where they just enjoy buying magic and they do, they they enjoy browsing and discovering and discussing and reviewing. It's almost the same as when you watch Netflix and you spend more time browsing through what's available than watching <laughs> watching the actual show. Um, and maybe some of the purists, if, if we were to apply this to Netflix, would say like, well, no, you know, here are the classics on Netflix. Here's what you should watch, and that's that. But that kind of sucks the joy out of it because the searching for the movie you want to watch is part of the fun. Um, like when you open up Netflix, one of the most fun parts is figuring out, figuring out what you're going to watch. And I think it's one of the most fun, it's one of the most essential parts of the whole experience. You can't really separate the two. Um, you know, when you go on, you're like, oh, what's it going to be tonight? Oh, maybe we'll try this, or what about this? Or how, you heard about this one, right? Or maybe we'll put that one up for tomorrow. And there's this element of mystery, and you don't know what it's going to be until it arrives. Um, and you get that kind of excitement waiting for it. Um, and it's the same, or well, not arrives, but you don't know what it's going to be until you actually come to that decision. You don't know beforehand. And it's the same when you're buying magic. You don't often know, you know, well, what's the method going to be? What's at, what's it actually going to be when it arrives? And there's that element of mystery. And you get that excitement and you get that physical kind of reward when it comes in the mail. And you get that every single time you buy. Versus when you buy a book or you buy all these classic books in one purchase and then you just have years to read them. And like I said, once you get into those books, it's a slightly different story. And you know, every page you turn is that you're going to get that same excitement because there's going to be some gold on that page. But it's just not right to prescribe that to everybody because there are some people who just enjoy buying the physical magic and getting that sort of delivered to them rather than them having to search it out and sort of uh, teach themselves to get that same experience out of one of the books. And why would you want to take that away from them? Um, because as I said, not everybody can be a magician with a one-man show in Vegas. If that were the case, then it just wouldn't be possible to be too many magicians in Vegas. It just wouldn't be sustainable. Um, and so there's a place in the community for each group of people. I think it's totally wrong to stand on a soapbox and tell people that they should ignore all of the new releases and only ever do this, only ever do that. Because you're speaking to the wrong person. And your advice is very valid and great advice for a small subsection of magicians. But you can't decide for them. And you can't decide for people whether they are in that group of magicians or not. You can't do that. Um, so anyway, I don't know how this one turned out to be almost 20 minutes already. Uh, anyway, at the end of the day, it's about gatekeeping and... There is nothing to gain by us blindly telling every single magician they're doing it wrong or that buying and enjoying, by buying new magic, they're somehow disgracing the art. Because that's not the case, I don't think. Um, and there's so many different types of magicians and different people get different things out of magic, but it's not one size fits all, which is really what I'm trying to say here. Um, it's not for you, it's not for me, and it's not for anybody to make that decision for people. It's for each individual to choose for themselves. I think that's quite a beautiful thing, right? You know, the fact that you get you get to choose what you get out of magic. Um, and you get to determine that yourself. So when people come along and try and 
make everyone think one way and think my way because this is, this is how I've done it. It's like, well, no, like, chill out, man. This is <laughs> it's kind of like me. This is my journey, you know? Um, it's kind of deeply personal. And, well, I guess I'm hungry, but I hope that, <laughs> I hope that sound didn't sound too uh, monstrous on the recording. Um, stomach rumbled, by the way, who didn't hear it? Anyway, yeah, a good example of that maybe is Piff the Magic Dragon, um, because at least the way I heard it, he, when I heard him talk about it, he said that at first he was doing everything the way he was told to do it, and he was dressing a certain way, performing certain stuff, and just kind of ticking all the boxes, but, you know, he wasn't really enjoying it, and it wasn't what he wanted it to be, and he was just not enjoying his experience of magic. Even though he was good, it's not like he was bad at magic, it just wasn't what he wanted. And he didn't enjoy it, so what did he do? Um, I mean, I don't know if it was quite as simple as that, but the essence is he, you know, he bought a great big dragon outfit and started calling himself Piff the Magic Dragon, performing this weird, wacky, and hilarious type of magic with a t Mr. Piffles' dog, um, which was totally unique to him, but as we've seen, it's also highly successful. And almost ironically, did end up giving him... Uh, a very successful show that people come and watch. Um, and now that I say I think he actually does have a show in Vegas. Let me Google that. That would be kind of funny. I mean, he's touring all over North America, his website tells me. Or he was when that was put together. I don't know, live from Las Vegas. This one's a virtual show. Anyway, he's very successful now. Um, and but he didn't go about it in the usual prescribed way and you know unless i miss this chapter in expert card technique you generally aren't advised to buy yourself a, a magic dragon outfit and buy one for your dog as well and you know do all this kind of thing but it worked for him and again it just kind of comes back to saying it's different for everybody and you've got to find what works for you i think and so um I guess maybe now is a good time to come down off my soapbox, because, uh, okay, you must have heard that one. I need to go eat. Um, I'm pretty hungry. But I will end this by saying maybe I should now get down from my soapbox, because, um, again, you know, it's kind of ironic I'm saying it's not really about people putting, people shouldn't put themselves in soapboxes and tell people what to do. And I kind of felt like I got toward that at a certain point, but... You know, if you think I'm wrong, please do call me out. I'm open to open to new ways of thinking about this and happy to discuss it. But that's how I feel about it. Um, I just feel you shouldn't prescribe the same formula to everybody. Everybody's different. Everybody has different ways of uh, enjoying magic and each of them is valid. And uh, I really don't see how you can, how you can argue with that. So, I think I will end this uh, podcast right there. No doubt will realise as soon as I do that there was uh, many other topics I did think I was going to get into, but I forgot. I suppose there's not much I can do about that, apart from ending it right here. <laughs>